if I can stop and realize I'm yelling at rice noodles and stop myself now and go, why am I so upset? And then talk to somebody who I love about it. And she's meanwhile, not saying, you know, she's not, she's not needling me. She knows I need a little bit of breath. I need some space. She knows I'm going to work at it. I'm going to figure it out. And I did. Me, I can speak for myself. I was still attributing fun, release. I work hard. I, I deserve this. All the shit with alcohol, even though alcohol was the thing that was making me just absolutely, it wasn't providing any of that stuff. But my mind was still like, but wait, this is still the solution. It's insane. Yeah. Amazon knows I'm an alcoholic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know my library is like, oh yeah, you can tell. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about being sober? This. Yeah. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, a leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So, while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists, so what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it. And thanks for listening. Hey, hey, Sober Family and our entire listener community. We have a really great show today and I am so excited. It's also my first time ever interviewing two people at the same time. So let's pray to the tech gods that we, that I can, can, you know, handle this and not make it a complete mess. Um, but our guests are Will and Margarita, and we run in similar secular recovery circles, and I've gotten to know a lot about them just, you know, through that. Um, and I've been so inspired by their individual and collective recovery stories and the programs that they work and how seriously they take it while also having a lot of fun. And of course, their love story. Um, which we're going to hear about today. So you can find more out about them um, online and I can put all that in the show notes so that if you guys want to go, you know, track them down, connect with them, um, learn more about their stories and that kind of thing, um, that'll be available. But without further ado, Will and Margarita, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, hello. (laughs) Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for saying yes. 
No, we're we're both good. I think. Are you good? Yes. Okay. <laughs> She's like, I know. I know you edit us down to uh, to to yeah to look good, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's the the beauty of of editing. So I'm going to start out with an icebreaker um, to both of you guys, actually. But like, if you had a theme song, if your life had a theme song, what would it be? <laughs> right now, I, I would say the um, the Incubus song "Drive," because there's some lines in there about taking the wheel myself and um, yeah, choosing water over wine, and um, uh, you know, and when I drive myself, the difference that it makes. You know, it's, I find my own light. I think there's a line like that in there too. So it just seemed really related to recovery for me. Incubus. Wait, hold on. Didn't you just celebrate two years on Wednesday? Yes. Tuesday, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I missed that meeting because I knew about it and I couldn't make it because of work and I was kind of bummed. So congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. Life is good. Yeah. That's well, a that's a solid answer. I didn't you know, I think <laughs> when I think about my life, I I always liken it to Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen because God knows I ran from everything and I kept moving every time something would get just so I was off to another, whether it be another relationship or another business I set up, uh, you know, and I'd like, I'd like to think of my song, my, my themes on more like, let it be. Cause I, that's what I really need. To, that's where I really need to go. I need to be in the, let it be mode, but there's a big gap between those two, uh, uh those two, uh, states of mind and states of being and uh but i'm working at it um but i was i was definitely a born to run theme song for my life for sure i love that i love both of those answers and i always when people give me answers later i always go look up the lyrics and really study them um and like incubus is always their their lyrics are always very cerebral and and that um but Springsteen too, because he wrote about like real life and stories and like of real people, you know, but how we always, as people in recovery, almost always can connect the dots and see parallels across all forms of art with recovery. Like we can always figure out how that kind of matches up, which I think is cool. Oh, if absolutely. We're looking um, okay. The love part. Margarita, how did you guys meet? <laughs> online well, <laughs> that's not what you think <laughs> yeah in um in in zoom meetings for in secular aa zoom meetings you know in in montreal and toronto and uh and then uh you at you talked about your cincy meetings so i started going to that too he um reached out when he was going to be coming to phoenix where, where i was and uh said he'd be in town do we want to get together for a coffee so that's when we met in person for the first time and I said, well, I'm going for a hike uh, with my dog. You want to join us? And um, and so he he was up for that. Turns out we're, we're both morning people. And um, it was, uh, uh, you know, it. I already knew from him in meetings, you know, a, a lot about and how I could be open with them. And I'd never been so open before with people. And so we had really frank talk and we did wind up having coffee because we did the whole the hike and then we went to breakfast and then just, you know, talking the whole time. And um, 
that the, uh, the the friendship part lasted about two weeks, and then it got romantic. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting it. point because I reach out often, um, you know, uh, as as an itinerant. The way I've been over the last six years of my life now, I've been on the road <clears throat> a lot. I bought this old used RV that we're sitting in here six years ago and hit the road, and that's definitely part of my story. Um, but whenever I'm anywhere, if I've been in a meeting now in the last three years on Zoom, I'll reach out and say, hey, how about a coffee? It was, I have to, true, very innocent. It was like, oh, it would be nice to meet Margarita in person. But we got out on that hike. And I mean, the fact that you, you were raised UU, who's UU? I, I joined the UU church in, in Cincinnati to be part of the Justice Committee. I was, you know, I've long since been a, you know, uh, an atheist since I recovered fully from Catholicism, but to meet another UU on a hike in Phoenix, I was just (laughs) gobsmacked. Oh, there are so many parallels with us. It's ridiculous. Our kids are all the same ages. I mean, and I I was going to say that, you know, we're hoping to visit, uh, you're in Austin, right? We're hoping to um, make a trip out uh, that includes Austin and, um, uh, and and meet you. Oh, shoot. What was I going to say? Um, but oh yeah, and but we'll be two sober vegan atheists driving an electric car with a Bernie Sanders <laughs> bumper sticker on it through Texas. Yeah. We'll do that. You <laughs> have yeah. no idea yeah. how much we don't fit in down here uh, in certain spots. Um, but who cares, right? Like people are are pretty chill, yeah. and uh, for the most part. But like, and when you say you you, just for the listeners, you're talking about Unitarian Universalist, correct? Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, the and ones, they, yeah, don't mess with them. Yeah. They'll burn a mark on your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. We, uh, well, again, um, Amanda, on that hike, I, I just couldn't believe the download of similarities right away. I mean, Margarita mentions about being a morning person. That has just been, you know, my lot in life and other relationships being up way ahead of the the curve in terms of anyone else. And and I want to get the day started and to meet somebody that was out there on a hike. We went to a beautiful Papago. Was it Papago Mm -hmm. in uh, Phoenix? What a great way to start a friendship that, yeah, quickly, quickly turned romantic. That's so awesome. It's so that's just. I did have the opportunity. I had the opportunity. I had the opportunity actually. There was something I was going to Florida the very next week for a Step Eleven retreat uh, in Naples that was already in place. So it just so happened I said to Margarita on that first meetup, "Hey, I maybe we can have dinner. I'm flying out of Phoenix the next week." And she said, "Oh, that'd be nice." And on the way to the dinner, her son called and said, "Oh, you know, the car's broken down, or she was supposed to be lent a car." And and I was just going to park it at the airport. I said, well, use my car. And she was like, I can't use your car. We barely know each other. You don't want to be driving your car. Of course, I'm thinking in my head, well, she'd have to pick me up from the airport. So that, but in any <laughs> event, um, yeah. So yeah, we uh, we had a meetup. We had the opportunity to meet up right away again. And that really. Yeah. And I got to go on the camping trip the back the with my son. Yeah. Yeah. So it all worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. I love yeah, that. And it, it's. Um, it's crazy how how many parallels we have with you know not only from the big subjects like you know um, uh, recovery and politics and you know and religion and you know outlooks like that but little things like you know we're the same age uh, our kids are all the same age um, 
you know, it's, it's, oh, there's so much to list, you know? Yeah. It's just like the timing, the fundamentals, the core, but the, also the timing and the kids and all that. And like the older I get, my list is very, it's just getting more and more and more specific and like ever finding anyone who has even 80% of that stuff. But when it's hap- when it's meant to happen and when you're ready and whether you think it's a God shot or a complete coincidence or being in the right place at the right time or whatever, you know, right. And like, it just yeah. works. That's yeah. I think that if I hadn't been, I mean, there was obviously there was, you know, Margarita was only five plus months into her recovery at that point. And I'm, we'll talk about that, I suppose, too. But I was 20 plus years and, you know, there were some considerations there, but I had certainly been through my fair share of, you know, situations and relationships now that my, I, to your point, I, I knew what I needed in a relationship to allow somebody in at this point in my recovery without, without jeopardizing anything that I'd worked, you know, worked to, to that point, you know, and I had come out of a relationship just prior to that, that was a little bit toxic around my recovery that I, that I extricated myself. So I certainly wasn't looking for anything because I just, so yeah, yeah, God shot when it, when it is served up in your, it's right in front of you, you can't ignore it. I mean, it was, it was too obvious. I'd had like three or four years where I'd totally sworn off um, uh, getting into a relationship. I said, my, my man finder muscle doesn't work. (laughs) I just couldn't pick them right. So I just, yeah, but, um, yeah, it was, the timing was amazing too, both in recovery. And I mean, if we'd met six months earlier, (laughs) it would not have worked, but what's cool too, is even the mundane stuff, you know, yeah. we the day to day stuff like we, we leave the toilet seat the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, that matters. Very, very yeah. key. And, <laughs> yeah. and to finish that point about the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic was so horrible on so many fronts. But goodness for us, we wouldn't be sitting here without it. It just wouldn't yeah. have happened. It, yeah. You know, it's an amazing counterbalance or whatever you want to call it to this whole experience. The recovery community that I've met and gotten tight with. You know, I was in a meeting on Wednesday night out of Cincinnati and Penny, who's 55 plus years of sobriety, comes to that meeting. And we had a little moment before the meeting and I'm sitting there and I'm just talking. I'm looking Penny right in the eyes. I said, Penny, I love you. And I would not have known you without Zoom. And she said, I feel the exact same way. And that just like my heart just jumps. I, I am just overwhelmed by the reality that that has come to be because of what we had to all pivot. God, it's so true. Um, okay. In the interest of time, typically you guys know people kind of distill it down to like key points or whatever, but from each of you, I would really like to hear, you know, what it looked like when you were there at the, where you got to the gift of desperation or, you know, that final impetus or whatever, just kind of walk us through, um, you know, where you were when you decided to get sober. Um, I had, uh, just retired. Um, and I saw the example of how my mom's retirement was so awesome. You know, she was Unitarian. She was really into, uh, volunteering and, you know, I just really admired what she did with retirement, but I, um, I had been, um, really progress drinking heavily for about 15 years, I guess, um, and it just progressed into total, total t- takeover my life. You know, I wasn't um, uh, 
I see. Let me back up a little bit. Okay. When I was a kid, I abused alcohol and drugs for a little while. But then in my 30s, um, not until my 40s, that's when I started, um, you know, getting into the, um, getting into trouble with alcohol and drugs. But uh, um, I don't know. Can we back up and you go first and then I'll go? <laughs> <laughs> is all over the place no well, that's a big question sure. it's like hey can you yeah. tell us your whole life story like in you know five minutes yeah I knew, okay let me just uh, when i i um as a teenager yeah abused alcohol and drugs um in my 20s i backed off had kids um in my 30s and raised them uh, also single mom i had three three um sons and amazing boys yeah they amazing turned out great they men. loved their mom and they lived near me you know near us and in, in, in I love that. area anyway um uh and, and but then I um, got into relationships with people who were um, using uh, alcohol and drugs and whatnot. I went from bodybuilding to um, to, to drinking, <laughs> and uh, um, with the same kind of uh, dedication, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and cocaine, and yeah, and. That the cocaine probably lasts about ten years, and that I got out of because I got afraid of what was being mixed in it. So lucky for the the fentanyl fright, but yeah, it I when I was getting I know the gift of desperation. I was just so physically sick all the time, you know, and it and I just you know I I even though I'd just thrown up, I would go get a drink, you know, and just be telling myself like, oh, you fucking miserable piece of worthless shit, you know, and just, and, and, and drink it, you know, you're so stupid, you know, you shouldn't be doing this and just drink it. And then, you know, my self, my voice to myself is just horrible. Um, so I guess my gift of desperation, the low was a, an emotional bottom, um, yeah. I I knew I wasn't going to take my life because, um, you know, I have grandkids. I've got my, my um, loving, you know, kids, sons and friends. And, you know, I wasn't going to do that to um, to anybody. And we've, I've, I've lived through, you know, relative suicides. And, uh, you know, I see I know what it does to the people around them. But um, I, you know, I, I was not happy when I woke up in the morning. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, another day. <laughs> how long before I'm going to, you know, succumb to the, the bottle in the closet and, you know, but, um, I, I had, it was a mixture of how am I going to stop punishing myself, but also like, what the hell is life going to be like in a world with zero alcohol? Like, you know, what, what, what kind of fulfilling life would it be? And it's just amazed me how much better, how much more rich, how much fuller, how much um, being in the program, too, has helped with how I form relationships and um, not shallow. Um, yeah, it's once upon a time, happily ever after. <laughs> I love that. In the way. It wasn't enrich enriching 
getting in the way. And I love how we all say, oh my God, how is life going to be without alcohol and drugs? It's going to be so boring. It's not going to be fulfilling, blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, we are not having fun anymore. We are not fulfilled. We're pretty much alone, probably. It's like, we're still, me, I can speak for myself, but I was still attributing fun, release. I work hard. I, I deserve this. All the shit with alcohol, even though alcohol was the thing that was making me just absolutely, it wasn't providing any of that stuff. But my mind was still like, but wait, this is still the solution. It's insane. But it was the relief, right? The comfort, the escape. Like that's that's what I was scared to not have. Um, yeah. And you explained it beautifully of how that feels and how we talk to ourselves and how we intellectually know we shouldn't be doing it. And yet there we are just like, you know, oof, that's powerful. Yeah. I, 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 I stopped drinking at the, I'd like Margarita talks about, I abused it in my teens. I found that 15 year, I was a 15 year old scared boy and started drinking to assuage feelings of insecurity around girls and tests and everything else all a few other phobias i had by that point and then i got into the ad ad industry at 20 years of age and if there's an industry like geared towards overindulgence in the 80s the cocaine and the, the you know everybody was overindulging and imbibing and i might might come from an alcoholic family although i was raised very lovingly and my my dad was a high functioning alcoholic as was my uncle and two grandfathers so i knew what by the time I was a 20-year-old, 25-year-old man, I knew what alcoholism looked like in a very high-functioning way. And that was what I related to. But it was always just something that I spent I, – I just – it was part of my life as like – like it seemed like it was part of everybody's until it wasn't. Until I got into my 30s, I was running a few companies. I had three kids by this point, And I realized that I was – I couldn't drink every day, not like what Margarita's talking about in a lot of people, because if I did, everything would be gone. And I knew the consequences of that were too high. But I was thinking about drinking every day. I was planning to drink three days a week to black out. I knew when I could drink, and God damn it, I was going to drink so hard, you know, uh, and I did for a couple of years. And then I decided that the consequences were coming way too close to home, way too close to my businesses. So I stopped drinking. But I, I had no interest in going into any recovery program. I thought AA was a cult and unfortunately spent 14 years as a miserable dry drunk. Somehow not, not drinking. But I got to say, Amanda, those were actually the worst years of my life because the drinking, at least I was not the angry, raging. Things got thrown. People suffered PTSD during the years that I was a dry drunk because I didn't have any understanding of what was wrong with me. I didn't I didn't have any medicine like alcohol to give me any relief. I did I had a double life then. I was running around, I was cheating, manipulating, getting too hard into fitness and worrying, you know, just looking for exter other external things to try and help deal with these underlying and unknown to me uh, 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 triggers, I guess, and, and, and anxieties and insecurities. And then it was, finally enough, I was in the middle of a second marriage. It was tanking. And I was encouraged to go check out this thing called AA, which of course I knew about. My dad was still slipping and sliding in and out of relapsing. And um, 
I, I've been to th- cognitive behavioral therapy. I'd been into uh, marriage counseling. Nothing was sticking. And I get into a room full of other alcoholics and I hear the beginnings of the shares and it was traditional AA. And I went, wow, why have I been avoiding this thing for so long? These people are telling stories that I can actually relate to. And I, 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 I was desperate to save a marriage and, and stop. My family was starting to get alienated away from me. My business partners, people were starting to distance themselves from me because of my behavior. My kids, very problematic. Um, at a certain point, my son had, was a drug dealer at this point. It, you, lots of things were starting to derail on me that were very, very dear to me. And that was desperate to me. That was enough to say, okay, try this AA thing. Maybe, maybe it's going to work. And best decision I ever made, best decision I ever made in my entire life was checking this thing out. Wow. I, um, I put it off for years too, because I thought it was religious because my, my brother is Christian and he's been in the program since he was a teen. And, um, uh, I, I, I just by chance Googled agnostic AA and found it and started going to meetings. It, It took me about a week or so going to meetings on zoom. Um, it was during the pandemic. I'm a zoom baby, um, to, to even stop drinking. But, um, but yeah, now it's been two years. That's crazy. I just love the shares and like the 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 progressive nature of it, but also that the when you remove the substances, it doesn't deal with the root and the shit that was driving the behavior in the first place. And now you don't even have your anesthesia. So like that dry drunk time is like the worst for us and for everyone around us, you know, and it's like Margarita, like you too, you dabbled when you were younger and then you had to be an adult and do adult things, but it was dormant. It was going to come back because we, when we don't address whatever the hell is going on, um, which I never understood that I was like, no, either drink or don't drink. It has nothing to do with your, just don't do it. You know, I had no idea what this thing really was about. And now I'm just 10 years in, I'm finally just starting to understand like, Oh, these patterns. I've had the benefit of knowing him and hearing his story about being a dry drunk to understand that there's more to it than not drinking. Uh, I I totally convinced myself that taking away, you know, I I won't drink, you know, and people were applauding that. You know, I got all kinds of kudos, even from my mom, who was living with my dad, who was slipping and sliding. She thought, well, good for you. I wish that. But in the meantime, it just got worse and worse and worse. And by the time I got, my first meeting was middle of February, 2015. By the time it was 2011 through 2015, those were the worst years of my life. By far the worst years of my life, those four or five years. And for the people around me, yeah, I can guarantee you that. So, well, and there was a drop of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, even now in meetings I share when I'm talking to sponsees or other people or whatever, and it's like, you know, I don't need drugs or alcohol to screw up my life. Like I am fully capable of doing that. Right. Even in recovery. <laughs> in recovery, working a program, like I still, you know, I pick guys that are, it's just, and I wanted, I think all of us to to some extent, we just want to be fixed. You know, I'm going to do this thing and then I'm going to be better. And now I'm going to react to life like a normal person. No, no, that never happened for me. And I, you know, but I'm aware now of my patterns. And instead of engaging in things that I know are unhealthy for me, I just don't 
do it. Um, but there's, it's so bizarre to me that we can still have those feelings of isolation or shame or like that negative self-talk that you were talking about, Margarita, like long after the substances and all that, because it, it comes from places that are deep, you know, and it takes a lot of time to like excavate that stuff and deal with it. And, but well, one of the things, so I'm going to go back and forth on questions, but you guys can feel free to jump in and answer and do whatever. But well, one of the things we have in common is our obsession with uh, fitness and nutrition. And Margarita, I don't know you as well or know as much about you. Um, Well, I know your stuff because of Fitness Sherpa. And like, of course, I've stalked you online and I kind of know your presence. But Margarita, it sounds like you're very similar in the way that you eat, live your (laughs) lifestyle and all of that. So um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about Fitness Sherpa and like how it's affected or supported or influenced your recovery life. Um, But also the obsessive nature that we have with things. And, you know, I can do that with work or with a relationship, with working out, with all kind, anything, basically anything, give me anything, I'll do it too much, right? Until I get um, spiritually sick, emotionally sick, and then I'll have to dial it back. But talk to me about how it helps you, but also how you have to be careful to not cross that line. Yeah, for a period of time there. I mean, I started into fitness uh, on my own uh, back in the 90s when I, you know, stopped. I haven't eaten red meat for 30 years and uh, pork or anything like that. I, I was... I was a very over, overweight 30-year-old man, 205 pounds. I'm 140 wet now, and I was 205 pounds and very out of shape and only 30 years old. And so I had to figure something out. But it was all for me. You know, it was all about me. And um, that was during my drinking year. So I could only get so fit. But once I took the drink away, I could get really fit. Yeah. I could get shredded fit. I could get, ooh, look at the way I'm feeling and looking now this is and i feel again going to the outside looking for external satisfaction and whatnot and thinking that's going to make me feel better um and then but again it was all self-centered it was all self-motivated it was all ego it was all me uh so i get into the program in 2015 and it didn't take me very long i was a slow growing aa but one thing that occurred to me right away was that this program was about uh, making myself available and and helping others and getting out, you know, getting, you know, outside of my own self-interest. And here, by this point, I had a lot of learning. I'd done a lot of reading. I'd done a lot of practice on my fitness. So I decided for my, just for myself at first, maybe I should just get certified in strength conditioning and group fitness. I didn't get my um, personal training. I thought about it. I ended up getting my RYT 200 yoga. But the idea was I was going to get this information. And then I was just going to start to think about being a fit. I, I wanted to be a guide. What are we as a sponsor? What are we? Well, we're kind of guides. So the idea of being a Sherpa mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in fitness really appealed to me. And I just wanted to start helping others. Well, I got found out at a rec center in where I lived in Cincinnati. They realized I had certification and they asked me to teach i thought well that'd be interesting and here's what clicked here's what changed for me and how it relates to my program i think of recovery and i think about wellness and healthy habits kind of in the same way my recovery is the daily practice of sustainable 
healthy habits. Mm -hmm. That's what my recovery is. I need to put a daily practice together of healthy habits and I need to do it and, and start to do that every day. And for me, a, a life of wellness is the same thing. I need to plan to live well. And that takes, you know, if I'm, if I'm planning more weeding, meetings in the week than I'm not, I'm going to plan more times I'm going to be active in a week than I'm not. If I'm nourishing myself with, you know, eight hours of sleep and hydration and uh, good nutrition, I'm going to nourish myself in my recovery with reading, reading and podcasts and reflecting and meditation and uh, reaching, you know, and uh, reaching out. And then I'm going to, well, and then I'm going to make myself available to others. So there's such a parallel for me in the way I can practice my, my life of wellness and my life of recovery. And then what do we do in the 12 step? Well, I get to share it with my experience. And so I did teach. I taught in Cincinnati. I've taught in Yuma. I taught online during the pandemic. I'm not teaching currently, but I always feel like I'm, you know, a human in recovery and a fitness Sherpa at all times, kind of in parallel path. Somebody can call me one minute. I'll be on a call talking to a sponsee about a resentment. And the next thing I know, I'll have somebody be calling me and asking me, okay, how do you, what do you mean planning your sleep? What are, you, what are you talking about when you talk about planning your sleep? And I'll talk to them about the steps of how I prepare my night, my day every day about sleeping. It's conscious living to me. Yeah. Recovery and healthy living. This is living mindfully and consciously. I don't see a difference between the two. I, I just get to share it a little differently depending on who my audience is. But that's, that's what Fitness Sherpa means to me. That's so awesome. It's so awesome. And it's, it, there are so many parallels and the, the repetitive nature of it and the ritualized, you know, with still being flexible and life happens and you're not always going to be able to execute everything according to plan, but like having that scaffolding, I always call it, it's just like it reinforces, they reinforce each other, you know, your fitness stuff and your, um, and if I'm eating like shit and I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, then like my decision-making, my moods, things are impacted. I might make a bad decision with the halt thing. And it's just all connected to me too. Um, which it's, we talk about that. Yeah. We talk about minding the obsession of it too. Sometimes we can, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we can, Oh, it didn't work out today. Okay. But, you know, and we we're there to support each other in our obsessions, because, yes, we have both spent times in our lives when we were working out six, seven days a week, couple hours a day. Like, you know, but we're 60 year old people now. I said to Margarita, we're 60 years old. We, you know, we're living a good life. We're keeping active. We've got balance. That's the most important part. And you guys and we can like do that together. Children, you look so vibrant and like, for, I mean, it's. It's just inspiring. And it's, it's also, you know, that rigidity, I've got to be really careful of that rigidity in any area of my life, because it, it makes me feel safe. When everything's planned, and I know what's going to happen, I feel safe, which is a false sense of security, because then life happens. And if my routine gets messed up, I used to just spin the fuck out. And now, oh, yeah. it's like, uh. or you didn't work out, you're a piece of shit, what's wrong with you? What's wrong, you know, and yeah. all, it's just, it's all connected. And and now I understand this flexibility of like, okay, like it's not the end of the world, but we sometimes we have that all or nothing, you know, mindset. And oh so my gosh. I just, 
Yeah. I remember being like so um, obsessed with like, you know, I when uh, hiking, I'm not just hiking. I have to be able to keep up with the guys, you know, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got to be the top notch, everything, um, weight training. Um, you know, I even had in my mind, my ego going like, um, like, you know, oh, yeah, other people are thinking, oh, she's got good form. Yes, she knows what she's doing for a, you know, for a lady um, or, um, you know, in yoga. Oh, yeah, she's she, you know, she can do the I've got um, all this external stuff about having to be the best and um, like Guinness World, whatever records yeah. uh, uh, drive my ego. And it's it's really helping me now look at that and have a, um, you know, with a relationship for how I'm looking at recovery. Um, and yeah, just where is that coming from? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. And that that gentleness, that kindness, that compassion and that, you know, wearing the world like a loose garment, like our literature talks about of like. Um, but it's so hard because I want structure, but I also want to be flexible. And there's this line that I can cross into rigidity where it's like measuring food and this and that. And it's just, there were, was a time oh, yeah. where it was like a science. And it was almost like, if you didn't do it exactly perfectly, like your entire life would fall apart in that moment. And that's such a lie, but that's addictive. It's that whatever that is, I don't know what it is, you know, but nowadays, well, we're, we're, you know, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah you're we're aware. Yeah. And we're, we're living, we're vegans too. And so, you know, um, I've been now for going on nine, 10 years. And um, when we're traveling a lot, there's, there's a lot of considerations to make when you're an itinerant, when you're traveling and you're vegan. So, but again, like you're talking about, if somebody puts fish sauce one day by accident in my pad thai, I'm not throwing it back at them. I'm just like, <laughs> You know, I'm not going to be a Nazi vegan. I'm not. Oh, there's honey. There, there was a honey in the vinaigrette. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Okay. You know, like yeah. I have yeah. to put the loose garment on in those moments because God knows there was a period of time when, you know, salads went back. Yeah. And, but it's also, <laughs> you know? it's that perfection, right? We just, like it says in the book, we, we demanded perfection and we know you wanted perfection too, or whatever the thing is. Right. And it's, it's getting away from that and just saying, am I making progress? Have I made progress? Am I moving in the right direction type of deal? As opposed yeah. to expecting you. you've got to be the best. And I don't even know where that comes from, but it's exhausting. And it's impossible too. It's not sustainable. <laughs> right. right. How do you, we, are these things that we can sustain? So Margarita. The sustainable part is very key. Yes, absolutely. Sustainability is the key. If we set ourselves up, and I talked to sponsees about this, if you set up like, I'm a little worried about sometimes 90 and 90. Okay, I get the idea of 90 and 90 as a principle, yeah. making your best efforts to 90 and 90. But don't, if you miss meeting number 36, you know, that's not a do over. That's just like, come on. And you some know, people, get, you know, some people though would go, oh my God, I yeah. missed meeting 36. I'm going to relapse now. It's, it's such a harsh, um, you know, and I think like, making allowances like I'm a vegetarian so it's a lot easier for me to find food when I'm like on the road or doing different things or whatever but my daughter and her partner are strict like militant vegans and that takes they basically like run around the world with like you know a garden in their backpack or whatever like they have all their little yes all their little things that they have to have and their homemade snacks and you know whatever but it's yeah. it's um <laughs> 
but also being flexible to where you, we don't have to take our perfection or our rigidity out on other people um, in the world, you know, yeah, which exactly. comes from a place That's of ego. It. So Margarita, when was the last time you thought about drinking or using, or maybe you just had a, a, like a resentment or a traumatic memory, just something that made you wobble. Um, and what did you do? Just walk us through kind of what you did. What tools did you apply? What did you do in the moment to like get to the other side of it? Mm, well, when, when I see alcohol, I still see danger. I mean, I think of that that's, that shit's dangerous. I mean, like I'm afraid of it. It's fear. Yeah. I'm afraid of it because of everything I'd lose. But, um, I, um, what was interesting one night I woke up in the middle of the night and was going, you know, jumping out of bed because I was having this memory from, um, my, that involved my, um, my family and guns and it was very traumatic. And I was like, yeah, I was a kid, but I was feeling guilty about my role in it. And, um, and I, I went to jump out of the bed, like I could get away from, the feeling, you know, like, and if there'd been alcohol in the, in the old days, you know, I would have jumped to the, the bottle for that. But um, it was just a, a huge light went on in my head about, um, uh, you know, how I would just avoid the, the negative feelings and not, um, you know, confront them. And uh, I didn't even know what, you know, would that even begin to know what that would mean? But I wound up, I woke up, um, Will, <laughs> and, um, and and talked to him about it, you know, and um, I, you know, I just, oh yeah, it's not your fault. You were, you were a kid. You didn't know. It was, yeah. So it, um, yeah, that, that was huge just to see the way my brain went, this addict's brain went to jumping out of bed, try to like get away from what's inside of my head. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. To run. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. And, that's, and what I've, that's what our addictions are is a way of running, right? We can't physically escape ourselves. So we pick up something to make it stop or turn it down at least or something. So yeah. instead you, yeah, uh, your partner, you talked about it. You saw it for what it was. Yeah. I, and um and and in the past I, I didn't share with people a lot of the traumas and and uh, things that I I'd, I'd been through some assaults and um and different types of violence um but um when I I in those first two weeks that we met I I did share that with with him and um uh, uh he cried I'd never yeah. seen that or expected that from someone else. It was, it was it melted me, uh, and and I, it, it helped my own self esteem too because I'd always you know thought of myself as like damaged, you know, broken, and and um, yeah, and uh, something's wrong with me. Um, that's why people treat me like that. That's why you know these things happen, and yeah, but. Uh, and then, yeah, I got compassion. <laughs> That's so sweet. That makes me feel emotional because it's, I don't know if guys are the same way. I know as a woman, but I just never wanted to be a victim. I didn't want to call myself a victim. And so mm -hmm. if I didn't acknowledge that what happened was an assault and was wrong, then I wasn't the victim. And 
I wasn't going to tell anyone about it because I was beating myself up for having allowed it to happen in the first place because I must be attracting this. Maybe I deserve that. It's everything that you're talking about and you hold all that shame and you carry it. And then we make decisions from a place of shame, from a place of fear, low self-value, blah, blah, blah. And typically we attract men who want to continue that cycle. Um, and that feels comfortable to us. And so we, anyways, I speak from experience, but when you, when you finally find a partner, when you finally find a partner who not only hears you and sees you, but actually like feels your pain and understands. And instead of saying, what were you wearing? Where were you? How much did you had to drink? Yes. Right. The victim blaming bullshit. Exactly. All I have time. heard those exact same questions. You too, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. what were you doing? Yeah. Why were you running there? What, what what were you wearing? Yeah. Right. Right. So it's like, sometimes, I'm sometimes blown away. You know, I grew up with a sister, uh, I have a loving sister. I've got a great relationship with her. I think she taught me a lot when I was young, young man, even though I had my own insecurities and whatnot, but I've always had it. And she had cancer at a very young and I would escort her to her uh, chemo treatments and Go, we'd go buy subs on the at the at the subway shop, and then she'd have something to throw the the bag. She'd eat it, go in, get her treatment, come out, and she'd throw up into it on the train back to. Her. And and I think I, I think I was lucky in that respect. I saw the way my dad treated my mom. My dad's one of the most loving men in the world, and um, mom passed last year. And I watched that relationship, even though through all the trials and tribulations of what they what my mom kicked him to the curb for six months during his worst drinking years in the nineties, but they survived it and they were married pretty much six years. And I, I've never understood when I meet, when I see men or I meet men that don't have an understanding of the female experience. I, and they're oblivious to it. To me, it's like racism. If you can't understand the way racism is systemic and the way it is in the world and the way that, the gender, the gender gap, and if you can't understand that and appreciate that, um, you're 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 asleep. You're 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 walking around unconscious. I, I, so I, I think I was lucky in my I was lucky in my upbringing from both of those fronts, having a close sister and having a loving parents that that showed me a, the example. Yeah, I, I had a lot of angry men in my uh, in my history, and uh, and I I worry about. My um, boys seeing what I tolerated from people, you know, and uh, you know, that now that they're the age to be in relationships, and yeah, I, I uh, they're marvelous, though. They, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope. <laughs> and you've changed. You've changed your patterns, and so hopefully, this is the example that they draw from, and this is what and they love. Will yeah, they didn't. That didn't happen before. Yeah, when we got engaged. <laughs> we, when we got engaged, we, we they heard about our engagement, and the two younger ones immediately wanted to take us out to dinner uh, and celebrate. By young, I mean twenty nine <laughs> and twenty seven, but yeah. like they wanted to come out and take us out to dinner right away and pick up the tab. And I was just, I was just so you know overwhelmed by that uh, that show showing of uh, of care and love. Uh, I know they're happy. oh, and the grandkids love Papa Will. Oh, <laughs> this is like. Yeah. dream this is like relationship goals and i think too that when you realize that your recovery is at the it's like the crux of breaking cycles 
yeah. rewriting stories, changing futures of your children and their children, because now this is the example we're going off of. This is the family dynamic and the ancestral wounding or whatever that we're healing and we're going to move into a different, but we couldn't have, none of that would have happened had you not gotten into recovery, most likely, right? Like, and, and, I, would had, and I would have had, uh, you know, uh, I still, until I got into this relationship, no, during, in my last relationship, I had a, a, a much better understanding of, of boundaries, the, the boundaries that I never respected during my second marriage or my first marriage. I was, you know, over, overcompensating and always manipulating and always controlling. I was out of that fear and it, and it, and it just, I was, I was power over in my relationships prior to the one before Margarita. And during that one, I understood boundaries and I understood um, taking influence. That was a big area for me that I never understood or, or really respected in a partnership. But I was in a relationship that was was imbalanced. There was some threats to my own sobriety in it. And I needed to be able to walk away from that. So yeah, without the recovery thread that you talked about, uh, Amanda, um, it for us, and I've never had a life partner and a recovery partner enmeshed. I mean, this is like this is like the this is like the championship. You know, <laughs> this is the, the goal. It doesn't get any better than no. that. So, wow. Yeah. Because that's my, that's one of my big things is like the pool is small enough, you know, in my age with the conditions that I have or the like worldview, there's some certain deal breakers and there's some certain where I live. The pool is pretty small out here. Let me tell you. But then on top of that, you know, um, I, I would love for them to be in recovery because if you don't respect my program and what I need to do to take care of myself in that way, I cannot be in a relationship with you. And that goes for that's, friends, family members. I don't care who you are. Like this will always be number one. And that's what I experienced in my last relationship. Yeah. I, I was upping my meetings and they were taking issue with it. And I said, um, that I'm sorry, that's, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, so I totally appreciate that. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a like, yeah. That, you don't want to see what happens when I don't go to meetings yeah. and I start drinking again. <laughs> you, won't like, you won't like me when I get angry, as the Hulk said. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to like that. So my next, my next question is like, we hear in the rooms all the time, like if you really want to know what your character defects are, insecurities, resentments, childhood wounds, whatever, like get into a relationship, you know, like it will reveal, it will unearth all the stuff. And it's there for a reason for us to work through, for us to acknowledge, for us to help, maybe help someone else heal while, while they're helping us heal, whatever. Um, But like, how do how do you apply the tools of the program? If you do, I'm sure you do, um, to your relationship. And like, how do you, how does it help you work through conflict? Um, you know, hear each other's perspective, even though you may not agree, like, you know, the tough stuff that comes up in relationships, how does the program influence that? Honesty. Honesty is like a huge, huge difference for me. I was always, you know, secretive. I wouldn't, um, rock the boat, you know, um, uh, uh, I wouldn't share, um, you know, I'd be embarrassed to share my feelings, you know, and um, I'm like, do you remember the other night we were watching a movie? I was holding it in. It was making me um, want to cry. And I finally, at the end of it, I, 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 I let loose and hit. I bawled in his arms. It, it, and I I said, it was such a habit of mine to, to hold the feelings back. And yeah, I don't know why, but um, 
no, I, I now I'll speak up if I, um, you know, if I feel uncomfortable about something. I, 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 I I'm. Why live fearing what might happen, and um, and and instead confront it, and um, it, it, and it wasn't anything to worry about anyway, you know. I, yeah, yeah. With, I, I've lived through many, many troubles, most of which, which didn't happen, never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Twain, isn't Twain, it? Twain, yes. <laughs> I, I think that on I think that's a great start. I mean, without the authentic honesty, you know, and the rigorous honesty is the book, you know, is how it works says, you know, that we need to apply to our recovery. You know, if you can't apply that to a relationship, you know, it's it's doomed. It's absolutely doomed. So you start with being your authentic self, you know, flaws and all, you know, vulnerabilities. You got to be able to be like, you know, just. Bare, bare naked with what what who you are and and I I divulged so much of you know my my past and you know the, the areas in which I I'd had concerns that you know that I'd fucked up in my relationships areas that I felt were, were not working for me in my in my last relationship so I I didn't want Margarita to go into this relationship with you know with any blind like she, I wanted her to know what she was getting into and I still have you know my Achilles heel, Amanda, I think, you know, your personality and my personality, we're, you know, uh, hyper overcompensators, I think. Um, you know, I'm not a procrastinator. I've never been somebody who's, like, you know, been afraid to um, attack or, you know, get into something. I'm the exact opposite. I'm showing somebody, I'm showing people that I've got this all the time. Well, that what happens is that sometimes brings up some of my old insecurities. And uh, just last week I was giving shit to the rice noodles, just doing what rice noodles do, getting too sticky on my pans and, you know, and on my colander as I'm trying to rinse them and I'm, they're falling on the floor because they're sticky. And I'm realizing I'm upset with rice noodles and Margarita's at another part in the RV and she's just giving me space, you know, just giving me, Letting me decompress and make a dick, act, acting like a complete ass over the rice And then finally I stopped and I turned to her and I said, I'm sorry I'm being such an asshole right now. I think what it is, is, and I divulged a bit of insecurity. I had about some meetings and my role in them coming up around some, my car wasn't working and not knowing it. I said, I re this, these are irritabilities that I'm, that are making me you know, uncomfortable right now. And there I'm thinking about them. And I didn't, until I had these tools, I had no idea that that's what I was doing all the time. I had no idea that they were then affecting and making these behaviors, you know, building up and then having these explosions happen. And then I've got worse consequences, just like a big old blackout drunk. If I've raged on people, then I have to deal with that, yeah. you know, uh, collateral damage. So, so if I can stop, and realize I'm yelling at rice noodles and stop myself now and go, why am I so upset? And then talk to somebody who I love about it. And she's meanwhile, not saying, you know, she's not, she's not needling me. She knows I need a little bit of breath. I need some space. She knows I'm going to work at it. I'm going to figure it out. And I did. 
And that's the thing. It's never the rice noodles. It's never traffic. It's not your mom. It's not your mom. It's not your boss. It's like some shit that we don't want to look at or talk about. But if we're aware and my therapist and sponsor, and I've had a lot of people in my life have been like, let's what's underneath there. Like what's going on. And my original, I have to admit that I'm a little nervous. Something's going on and that's a vulnerability, you know? Right. And yeah. like, and I know it's not, gonna, yeah, it's not, yeah, you. I, I, it's not, I tell him what he's doing. He's got to figure it out for himself. Right. That, she gives me that space and grace to let me sort this. And then I have to be vulnerable and be honest and admit I'm nervous right. and scared. Which but I, he does that every time he, you know, if he has any misstep, he catches himself. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I, I trust I trust that you're going to do that. I, uh, yeah, so I can, I can just be patient. That's such a big, I, I'm not a procrastinator, but I am patient. I don't know how you explain that, but I am a patient person. That's good. And I think too, as you evolve and you've got that awareness and you know, to ask those questions. And my original sponsor used to say that I pole vaulted over mouse turds. And it was funny <laughs> If, you know, if it's a two on a scale of one to 10, like I am, I am just spinning out, but for a 10, I'll have no reaction whatsoever. I, my emotional regulation, my ability to like react appropriately with my emotions was, I didn't know how to do it. And so really big life stuff. I was like, nah, it's fine. And then something like a rice noodles, I was like, this fucking, you know, Yeah, and total vault over mouse turds. Total, total <laughs> out of whack. You know, it's it's not the elephants in the room. It's the gnats. It's the little bug bites that are gonna, that you know. Yeah, there's a big elephant, or I can handle. It. I have no big problem. With it. But oh my god, you know the mosquito oh, bite. Little, yeah, no that. Yeah, but now totally we, relate. Totally, we can we can see it. We can. I I'll, when I have a reaction to something that isn't reasonable, I'll be like, "Oh my god, what is going on with me?" And I will. I will journal. I'll go to a meeting. I'll call somebody. Like I'll really take a second to be like something. Um, but it's the awareness. It's learning by trial and error. Pause when agitated. You know all the stuff that we learn. But um, when I and see one plus one plus one, yeah, just one more question. One plus one in that effort that you're talking about, think about this. You're doing that on your own, which is all great, and you're calling somebody. But imagine doing that with somebody you love and adore who's giving you the the space and grace and the, the love in return and, and the, the compassion and the understanding. It's like the exponential value of that in our relationship and in recovery I would have never, I can't even quantify that. That's my dream. That's literally my dream. Like I've been manifesting this shit for years. You have no idea, but it's like, I know it will happen. Um, But it's a, it's rare, you know, it's a rare thing to find that it's timing. It's all the different things, but like looking at you two and I think about like, Oh God, we are so complicated. Alcoholics and addicts are so complicated and layered and complex emotionally. And so like, do I really want to deal with that? Can I really deal with another one of me like in a relationship? (laughs) And then, but also we have these tools and this program and you know, that you work together and separately, I'm sure. And you have your own things going on. Um, But to your point, like having that support, but also a partner that trusts you and respects you and knows that you'll get there on your own. It's a lot like having adult children where when she asks me for advice, I don't tell her stuff. I just listen. She just, she will figure it out. She already knows, 
you just have to listen long enough for them to answer their own question. They don't, she doesn't need my input. She just needs me to let her do what she needs to do. And I can bear witness. I can support and encourage, but I don't need to fix it, which was my big problem. My whole life was I thought it was my job to fix everything. And I couldn't, couldn't even deal with my own stuff. So, um, so when you guys are, when we're, when I see y'all in zoom meetings, you're joining from like all over the world. Um, which is awesome. And I love that, but how is it traveling in recovery? Like, do you guys just go to a bunch of zoom meetings? Do you pop in locally when you're in different countries? Like, what has that been like? Well, um, mostly it's been zoom meetings. We're really lucky right now that we're 10 minutes away from a secular meeting once a week that we, that we are going to here. And we have been to a couple of when we were in Toronto, but otherwise mostly at Zoom. But the really cool thing we get to do is we meet the people on Zoom and like he did to me, hey, we're going to be in town. Let's get together. So like we've had get togethers with um, small groups of people in Cincinnati and Montreal and Toronto and Vancouver and Phoenix and Cornville in San Francisco, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Cottonwood in um, Mexico. Me- yeah, Mexico. Um, yeah, we get to meet these people that we're already loved that we've only seen in little boxes. It's amazing how, how that happens. But, but I have so much love for these people. And these, I, I have love for you, Amanda. I haven't, I mean, I would, if I saw you, like, you would get such a hug. I have so much respect. I've, I've learned a lot from your, you've shared really great insight too anyway and i'm grateful for you but um it's been wonderful and like yeah i i I, i'm already looking forward to we've got to do that that music trip we're going to do we want to drive through um different cities for their music like uh uh, new orleans memphis nashville yeah yeah so uh uh I also want to, hopefully we'll plan it when your daughter is around too. She sounds interesting. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, I've been doing it. Um, I've been, atten- yeah, I've been traveling now for about six, seven years when I stopped working full time. That was another recovery epiphany for me in 2017. I needed a sabbatical. This was right near the end of my second marriage and my, uh, i I have a phenomenal relationship with my ex, both my exes. Margarita's met them both. My second ex has my dog in Cincinnati, so we'll see them when we're there. And um, But I needed a break personally and professionally in 2017, and that's when I got this RV. And my program really took off. This was a couple of years in where they did, there was no Zoom, but we know where the where and whens are, and I could I could I could figure out where local meetings were. And I went to meetings in the most obscure place. I traveled across the continent for six months through Canada, through the United States, all across it. I couldn't believe the variety of meetings and yet the similarities in so many, the the uh, wonderful people I met. And it really opened up my uh, whole concept of the program. So yeah, we can go to local meetings if that we're going to, a, uh, we're going to a roundup actually at the beginning of July. My sponsor, Joe C., is uh, one of the keynotes in uh, Langley on July 7th, 7th or 8th? 8th. July 8th. Beth H., who wrote the book, We're Not All Egomaniacs. She's from Arizona. She's she's a guest speaker there. So we've got tickets for the Roundup. So not only do we get to um, go to the Roundup, but then one of Margarita's um, 
fellows who's in uh, Whidbey Island in Washington. She may come up and meet up with us. And so, you know, for us, travel is not limiting. In fact, it's expanding our recovery circles because we can take the people that we've met on Zoom and make (laughs) and make them make them real and get real hugs. Yeah, I get real hugs. That's so cool because when I I remember I was sober a couple few years where I got sober originally in Houston, Texas, and I moved to Denver and I was terrified. I I just was convinced that I couldn't stay sober. That's my club. These are my people. This is my sponsor. And it's again, back to that black and white. Like if I miss meeting 36 out of 90, like I either have to start over, I'm going to relapse. But I, I didn't know that like this is everywhere. So now when you travel internationally or I'm in Holland or I've been in Boston or Ireland or wherever you are and you just pop into a meeting and it's like, the coolest feeling ever in the world to know that we all read out of the same playbook, essentially, and the and that people have never met you at all, and they love you already, and they're there to support you, and you would support them, and or you see somebody get their chip that you've never even met, and you're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a weird, cool thing, and I've never found that in churches. I never found that in. I've just never been a part of that kind of community where wherever. And look, I'm sure I know there are unhealthy meetings there are unhealthy people in the program. Like I get it, but all in all, um, we can go find our people where, and nowadays, especially with zoom, I mean, that's, that's just a whole nother, um, so many people came into recovery because of that, because they never would have walked into an actual meeting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I described that. I yeah. described that to uh, the, to the Zoom babies. I go like, no, I didn't get to cloak myself like in Star Trek and like slide into the meeting and then sit at the back of the room. And uh, no, there was some dude standing there. Hey, how you doing today? It's good to see you. Is this your first meeting? Yeah. You just you just want to die. You know? It was a nightmare. I oh, know when I walked in that Houston club and they were, you know, this old timer. Just I sat on the back and cried the whole time and was trying to avoid people. And he was like, introduces me to this lady and says, this is your sponsor. And she's like, you call me every day for seven. She goes, you call me every day for seven days. And if you can pass that test, I'll work with you. And like, I literally walked out of there with a sponsor and all these people trying to get my phone number. And I'm like, this is fucked. (laughs) Like, I don't want to, this is weird. I don't want friends. I'm not trying to make friends. I'm just trying to stop getting arrested. Literally, that's all I'm trying to do. Um, yeah. And now I just, it's like the best thing in the world. And then when we see a newcomer come in, you want to talk to them. You want to say, welcome home. You want to, you know, exchange numbers and, um, you, you see the look on there. Without overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Without overwhelming. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're, and they're looking like, Oh my God, what have I? Oh yeah. Um, so I'm curious to hear a couple more questions. Cause I know we're up on time, but like, who do you guys like read or follow as an inspiration? If you've got like a, I know for me, Pema children, like there are certain people that just really speak to me, um, and help me. Um, so whether it's recovery or otherwise, um, what, who's, who's like a guru or a teacher for you guys? Well, Eckhart Tolle was uh, like my first, my first dose into my understanding of what my ego was doing to me. I, I had no concept of the fact that the past and the future where I was longing to be in the future or loathing in the past was keeping me out of the present and that the ego, like the present will kill my ego if I can just stay with it. And Thich Nhat Han, the way that he writes about, you know, just focusing on the smallest details, even when you're making the rice noodles. That's, yeah, I was thinking of Thich Nhat Han when I'm like, I'm not being very, I'm not being very monk-like. I'm not thinking like a monk right now if I'm, if I'm hurling the noodles, right? But like, 
you can kill those those feelings of like my those uh, those uh, insecurities or whatever if you can stay present. So, you know, I, I get a lot from those kind of uh, books. Mm-hmm. I I um, you know I get a lot from people who have gone through great journeys in their lives, like um, my Angelou. I've read all her books, and mm-hmm. I'm just. You know, her autobiographical novels to me are a mind blow to see her life in in progress or, um, you know, I I read a lot of uh, autobiographies and then I like the books that kind of give me a lens for today. Like I'm reading a book, um, uh, Robin D'Angelo on white fragility or, uh, you know, my daughter's queer, my eldest. And and so like being uh, being aware of the lens in which I was raised and then being able to see all sides of, you know, when it comes to LGBTQ uh, plus struggles in community or the the struggle of the, you know, the marginalized communities. I like reading a lot of, I but I'll read things like by Naomi Klein or by Sam Harris. I mean, these are people that I love. I love all these authors. They wake, they awaken me. And, um, but they're, they're very, you know, I, you know, I usually got two or three things going at once because I probably have ADHD. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> but uh, that, that's my experience with reading. Yeah, basically we're searching. I don't have just one that, yeah. yeah. Amazon knows I'm an alcoholic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my library is like, oh, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> a lot of that, yeah. But um, yeah, that's reading a lot of different things. Yeah, I couldn't name just one place. Yeah. And I think too, like on social justice issues or any of that type of stuff and making sure we're being sensitive to other people's experiences and all that, like that's something that, you know, in recovery, I've always been a bleeding heart and all that kind of thing. But like, if I were, if I was wrong, it would be really hard for me to say that I was wrong or that I had biases or whatever. Whereas when you, when you write white fragility, like, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. It's, it's, it's hard. It's uncomfortable because you realize, holy shit, I actually do have biases. And I thought I was such a good and, you know, middle-aged white liberal women are like sometimes the biggest problem of all, right? Which was also brought to my attention by my friends of color. So it's like, but my ego would have never, you couldn't have told me that I had biases or that I needed to look at something from a different perspective because I'm a good person. Like you don't know me. Right. And now I'm like, Oh, What's my right. part? What's and my that's, part? Yeah, that's yeah. the yeah. That's yeah, narrative. Right now I'm reading a book called White Women that's mm-hmm. um, women of color to uh, two white women in it. Yeah, it points out exactly what we're doing and making things worse. Yeah, yeah one of my, one of my yes. black friends brought that to my attention and I was like, I felt attacked and I'm like, but I'm, but I'm the, I'm on your side. I'm the good, I'm the good one. Right. And, and I, I get the problem. It and it hurt my feelings for sure. But I didn't let my ego, because it wasn't about me. I needed to hear what she was saying. Not, it wasn't about how I felt about it, but it took me a second. Same thing can happen. Same thing can happen. Yeah. When I'm dealing with, uh, you know, my eldest and the, um, you know, um, understanding what's problematic in just the way I say certain phrases about, you know, people like, uh, you know, that would make somebody who identifies as non-binary and so forth uh, uncomfortable. I'm like, excluded. Really? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought that, you know, and, and to your point, I can get a little defensive on that, especially when it's coming from my child yeah. kind of dressing me down a little bit. But then at the same time I go, 
Yeah, but they're living, they're living and breathing in this community. Why wouldn't I take their point of view, you know, as seriously as they should? I mean, because if that's what they're asking of me, then I need to respect that. And I need to, and to your, I got to, wow, I got, I got to, I got to take a, a think on that. What, what else have I been doing or saying that might be yeah. problematic? in those areas and but i'm i'm all about it i'm not one of those old guys it's like uh just i'm not gonna use they them there you know i'm you know are you kidding yeah Yeah. are you are you really kidding me right now what it's so precious to you that you you know uh, so i yeah i i I have i have issues with those zero sum black and white binary thinking people that give no room for you know contemplative deliberation and compassion around issues that they don't know enough or about or they think they know a lot about and just see the other side of it you've got to open yourselves up we have to we had to do that in our recovery how how the hell else did we do an inventory yeah you know so i think it just comes it comes full circle for me around these other issues justice issues and social issues that i have to apply those principles in all my affairs right so that's what i'm trying to do that's exactly right and like when my daughter has corrected me on things or let me know like hey by the way we don't say that anymore mom you can't really say that anymore and i was like why what why can't you say powwow what's wrong with having a powwow at work or i would say is she was like no that's it's because it's disrespectful to and of course my old self would have been like well i'm the parent and like it but now i'm like holy shit you're right oh my gosh and it's but it's appropriation of another culture. Right. Yeah. Or when people don't talk about, you know, want to talk about race and this and that, and, or it's, you know, always some old white guy who refuses to admit that racism is still a thing or some old dude who wants to talk to me about my reproductive rights and my uterus. And it's like, sir, pull up a chair. Let's have a talk. Shut the. But yeah. like, I can get real worked up about that stuff. And I know that's not healthy for me either. So I try I try to stay in my own lane, but I've always wanted to like be an advocate for myself and for other people, especially, you know, um, the two, the two biggest cool. lessons. Yeah. The two biggest lessons I think I've taken from these last few years, especially around these areas is I could be wrong and I don't know. Yeah. Being able to say that. And That's if good. I can, if I can admit that truthfully, I could be, I, I might have this whole thing, then I am going to be better for it. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to have, my mind's going to be more open to, to, to new, new understanding. Uh, and, and that will then help me in everything I do. So I don't mind now being wrong. God, absolutely. I never wanted to be wrong. No, absolutely. And I think too, that, you know, um, in Texas, we just say, bless your heart, which is a nice way of saying, fuck you. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and this old timer in AA in Houston, he used to say that when you're, when you're listening to somebody talk and you just vehemently disagree with them, all you have to do is just say, you could be right. You know, it's just more of that. Don't mm-hmm. engage, don't take the bait. You don't have to be right. You don't have to, you're not going to convert that person. They're not going to convert you. Just, just, um, but my ego, sometimes I just, Oh, you know, you just want to say, I'm going to win this argument (laughs) for no reason. Um, Okay. Last question. What is your favorite thing about being sober? This. Yeah. The relationships. Yeah. uh, There's, there's so much deeper 
um, yeah. I, I would say there's another caveat to that too. Um, I, I don't think I would have been able to have been in the position again to, to be ready for Margarita and be ready if I didn't have an understanding of, I, I used to be, I still do some part-time in advertising and whatnot. And one thing I was talking about earlier in terms of uh, fitness Sherpa, you know, everything that I do in my business career is transactional. Mm-hmm. It's just trading time for money and services, time for um, uh, services. Um, everything I do in wellness and everything I do in recovery uh, is uh, transformational. It's it's a, you know, my legacy is not about a company I built or a, or a money. It's It's about... Did I matter? Did I have did I have any purpose for in my time here? Did I did I make a difference to yeah. anybody's lives? Because if if all that they're if all they if all I'm attempting to do is try and be remembered for certain accomplishments and you know that that were based on transactional relationships, who gives a shit? Right. I mean, but if I can, so my my thing is develop you know, really trans- t- transformational relationships. And I found that in recovery first, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I had some great colleagues in the ad business, but I, and, and, but they were never as deep and as meaningful as the, the ones that I now have here. That's awesome. And I think when we are ready, we attract that partnership that we are meant to be in. And that's same for friendships and all kinds of different relationships that we have with people and animals and this and that and whatever, but particularly that life partner. And when I look at my list of of what I would love to see in my partner, I have to make sure that I have those, that I am that, you know, do I have this to offer? Do I bring these things to the table instead of wanting someone else to bring which is what I used to want, right? I want you to be like this. I'm just going to be however I want to be. So, you know, that. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a big part of it too, is like there are lessons to be learned and things that have to be worked through before we're ready. Like you said, before you could be ready for Margarita, you had to learn yeah. things. You had to experience and work through stuff. And some of it was shitty. And like, that's just, it is what it is, right? And Margarita had to go through what she had to go yeah. through. Our, our, the timing is just amazing. We're so lucky. Well, I think you deserve it. I think you have very good karma and it finally just came back around, you know. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up here, but I um I cannot thank you guys enough. I love seeing y'all in meetings and hearing your shares and I can't wait to see the rest of this love story unfold and I better get an invitation to the wedding. Is all I have to say. Yes, you will. <laughs> we have our recovery list uh, growing, but I I just want to thank you first off uh, for your service. Uh, this podcast is amazing. I know Joe C said it when he was on your podcast too, just welcoming more people and more voices uh, into the recovery community. And we we have loved meeting you and getting to know you a little bit in the meetings that we that we get to see you in. And yeah, we hope we can see you one day uh, in the flesh and we can uh, actually give big hugs in person, but we really appreciate you and, and thanks for the invite. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to your your podcast. So if anybody uh, hears this this podcast hasn't heard the others, go listen to the others. They're great. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I hope I get to meet you guys um, in the future. And I'll see you in the meeting on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>